Welcome to Creative Chat, the show in which creativity is celebrated and explored with a little therapy thrown in. Each show brings artists from different modalities together to discuss their art, their creative process, and how we all are interconnected. Tune in today to find out how with your host, Dr. Judy Bloom and entertainer, Richard Skipper. Hello, Judy. Hi, Richard. How are you today? I am doing great. It is a gorgeous, gorgeous day here in New York. Uh, the sun is shining. It's 78 degrees All here right. in New York. The only issue is flowers are in bloom, and so is the pollen. My That's right. Everybody's sneezing their heads off, right? <laughs> I am coughing my head off today. I mean, it's everywhere. So who or what are you celebrating today? Oh, what am I celebrating? I'm celebrating. It's it's springtime. It's you know daylight savings time. I love daylight savings time. I wish it was all the time. Me you know, too. and you know just the the joy of of being you know in a, a beautiful environment and you know having gratitude for everything that we have in our lives. Same here. And uh, it's been a crazy week. It's been a rock and rolling week at, uh, in the news everywhere. <laughs> Uh, but for the next hour, you and I are going to celebrate three incredible people who are making a difference in theater. Uh, and uh, and I'm so excited because our first guest is someone that you've brought to the table. And uh, I'm always excited when you bring someone. And uh, this has been a long time waiting to get to this point. Uh-huh. Uh, you brought Bryce Alexander uh, to my attention uh, in February. Uh, we put it off because... All of March, we were celebrating Cabaret Month, uh, but uh, he very patiently waited, and uh, he's here today, and we're going to talk about uh, Naples Players Theater mm-hmm. in uh, Naples, Florida, which is where you live. Um, tell us about this theater and mm-hmm. how you met Bryce and what it is about Bryce that wanted you to have him on the show today. Well, you know, Naples Players Theater is a community theater here in Naples, Florida, and it's located on Fifth Avenue, which is the premier shopping, high-end shopping restaurant street, if you will, um, here in Naples. And, you know, I when I moved here, uh, being a theater person, um, I you know, I started going to shows there, checking it out, seeing what was going on. And then I realized that they most of the people who were working there were all volunteers, right? So I volunteered. That's <laughs> what you do, right? So I volunteered to be an usher or a bar back or whatever they need. Um, and in the process, you know, got to know the theater a little bit and what it means to the community, because it's not just a theater. They also have incredible programs for people with disabilities. They wow. work with the school system um, to bring theater to middle school and high school students and involve them in the theater. They have it, it, you know, programs where they're really using theater, improv theater as therapy. Um, so, of course, all of that really appeals to me. Uh, and Bryce is the man behind all this. And now they're doing a $20 million restoration of renovation of the theater itself. So I figured this is a good time to have him on. Well, let's meet him. Uh, Bryce Alexander. There he is. Hello, Bryce. Well, Hi, first Bryce. of all, I want to say thank you. Uh, thank you for the work that you're doing. Oh, okay. Uh, and I love everything that uh, Judy just said, because I have been in theater uh, my entire life. Uh, this year marks my 44th year of being in New York. Um, and I've always credited my hometown community theater uh, for opening those doors for me uh, 50 years ago. It's hard to believe that it was 50 years ago that I uh, stepped on stage for the first time uh, with a community theater. Um, and I know that uh, uh, so many people in the theater, uh, whether they uh, be uh, gay, straight, or those kids that feel that they are outsiders, mm-hmm. they always feel that they belong when they find themselves in a community theater. And that, and the word community is the most important aspect of community theater. Um, what is it about community theater that resonates so strongly with you? Well, I think, you know, you said it best, which is community theater is all about the community. And so at the Naples Players, we talk constantly about how um, 
we are a theater for community, right? And it sounds silly to say community theater is theater for community, but so many people um, may misunderstand why it is that uh, we see community theater as a fundamental value to every city in America. And so from the Naples players perspective, you know, we, we're sort of like uh, the community theater, you know, and love on steroids. Um, so we, you know, we're fortunate enough to be here in Naples, Florida. And so we operate with a professional staff of 30 and a, an operating budget over $4 million and serve 55,000 people a year. Um, and our audience is uh, on top of 10,000 plus students in our education program and uh, 700 annual volunteers. And so when you think about the theater in that way, it's a huge community. And a, a traditional, you know, uh, regional theater will have that breadth and reach as well. But, but how many of those people get to be involved and see that their neighbors and friends are the ones who are working backstage or on stage um, to make the magic happen? So we, we see that our mission is to build community through the transformative power of theater. And that may mean that you get the opportunity to perform on stage. Uh, it may also mean that we use theater therapy to come and help veterans with PTSD, or we partner with a local hospital so that people who are um, experiencing uh, the oncology department um, have the opportunity to use improv to express the traumas they're going through, but not just them. Their family members who are sitting next to them in the beds in the hospital also to come and participate in their own class about improv and how it is that you accept the things that are coming your way. And so we, we constantly talk about how if you were able to use theater not only as a tool to connect with your neighbors or to um, express yourself in a way that maybe you don't have an opportunity to elsewhere, as you were alluding to, but also if we could connect with veterans or people with Alzheimer's or autism or Parkinson's or, or any of those things, imagine how America would value the arts when they see the impact that an organization like this one has um, on their own town. Well, do you think that America, you bring up a very interesting point because a lot of people, uh, and I don't even think that people are even aware of it when they go to the theater sometimes. I, they buy their tickets, they go to the theater and it's, it's very interesting, and I think that COVID woke a lot of people up because until COVID happened, everyone always thought, you buy your tickets, you go to the theater, the curtains are going to go up, and a show's going to happen. And then for the first time in our history, um, it didn't happen. Uh, theaters shut down around the country, and people were not able to come together in a collective force and go out to see theater. Uh, but I don't think that the... I think that most people... Take it for granted. When you buy your tickets, you're going to show up. Everything's going to happen. I don't think a lot of people really understand, nor should they really. They should be able to just go in and sit down and have a nice evening. What it takes for that for the show to go on uh, night after night after night. And thank you, Judy, uh, for being a volunteer and doing these things because, you know, doing community theater, doing summer stock, doing all those things where you're cleaning bathrooms, you're doing uh, pulling. It used to be, I think everything's computerized now. I used to pull the curtains, you know, to open the curtains of the theaters and, you know, uh, you know, sweeping the stage, doing whatever it took to get the, the, uh, the show going on those nights. So uh, it takes a village. It does take a village. And I think that also the whole idea of community theater is community. This is something that's open to everyone. And that's really important. It's very inclusive, right? You know, look at look at the, our society today. It's all about, you know, people, you know, met, getting on various sides of the battle, right? You know, um, but this is not like that. Community theater is about bringing everyone together and people, especially people who may feel like, you know, they don't have a place, they don't have a group, they don't, you know, they're a bit of an outsider in some way. This is a, a place where they can meet other people who also feel that way and connect, you know, and I think that's such a, a huge part of what it means to be in a community theater. And Bryce, I'm wondering what, what appealed to you about that whole idea, because obviously you could have gone in lots of different directions. You could have decided to, you know, work on Broadway or whatever, um, but you chose community. So what was that about for you? I think it's about helping to fix 
the sort of American values that are related to the arts and theater, and specifically in the way that we do, we've trained all of our artists in America to, to believe that they have to be starving artists in order to suffer for the art that they, they create. And so, you know, um, especially in an age where things are more expensive than ever and um, we're evaluating how the industry treats its, its artists, you come to this point where you say, well, you know, you can be a working equity actor in the United States and make uh, $400 a week. Um, and you, you have to make sure that you work, you know, whatever it is now. You know, yeah, you have to work five months out of the year to, to have health insurance at $400 a week. Well, what about the people who, you know, want to have a child or get married or live a life that doesn't um, require them to be destitute or work seven jobs? And so in that way, you know, the Naples Players is really interesting in that here we are, um, a community theater that does not pay its actors at all, but allows people who are doctors or lawyers or electricians or uh, teachers or stay-at-home moms the opportunity to still have a career as an artist where they can express themselves at the same quality as other major regional theaters around the country. And what's cool about our model is, you know, um, at Christmas time, for example, you know, we have the opportunity to bring down Broadway conductors to conduct an orchestra and a cast full of volunteers. And a, it's nice that in New York it's freezing in the winter, and so Florida's a really nice place to come visit, and that's a that's a wonderful reason for them to come here. Um, but not only do they escape the harsh winters of New York City, but like you, Richard, a lot of them have their start in community theater, and so when they come back and they work with people who are here, not because they are are relying on the money, but because they're so passionate about the art, there's a real sense of community and camaraderie and um, a true expression of the art that sometimes can be missing. And so where else in America can you volunteer to audition at uh, a theater and then get conducted by someone from Broadway? And that that's what's so unique about this model. And I think that's what's so motivating to me. I want to share with you that yesterday afternoon, I interviewed Tony Tennille, Captain and Tennille, and she just did a production of Hello, Dolly! in a community theater. She didn't get paid. She right. was there as a community theater actress. And she said it was the one one of the most glorious experiences of her life. Uh, she was there, and she said from the first day of rehearsal that she was there as an equal. We're going to get back to you in a moment. I hope that you'll stick around with us for the uh, full Of course. Uh, but yeah, yeah. I want to ask you, have you ever um, thought that uh, millennials are killing musicals? Well, uh, you know, I, I certainly have had a thought that millennials may kill the um the structure of future subscription models. Well, I have to ask you that question because that is the name of a musical that is about to open off Broadway in just a few days. And we happen to have uh, the person who wrote the music for this show. Amazing. And, uh, but before we bring her on, we're gonna get just a, uh, a glimpse of that. Uh, let me just remove your banner so it doesn't uh, take up her screen and uh, we're going to bring her on, and that's Nico Juber. And you're all in for a treat because my dear friend, Clea Blackhurst, uh, is among the, one of the, the trio that's in this number. You're in for a treat. Here it is. Your mom and Auntie Brenda think I've never done this before. And, of course, they know everything. <laughs> okay, Boomer. Kids, I'd set you out to play in the backyard every day. We didn't have a fence, but you're okay. I'd sit inside, I'd smoke a cigarette, and both be at each other's necks. But somehow you both survived. 
I'm used to hearing her do Ethel Merman. So to hear her do this is so unusual. That came out of your head. That's your amazing. A whole, a whole musical came out of my head. I, I know, I, I know. know how to explain it. Um, <laughs> yep. I So I actually wrote book lyrics and music. I'm like Chick Jonathan Larson. I don't know how else to explain it. Well, congratulations, and it's Thank about you. to open off-Broadway here in New York. That, of course, was 54 Below, so yeah. you start at the top, and then yeah. you keep going. <laughs> well, I mean, this show's been in development for over four years now, and um, I picked a great time to make the pivot into musical theater right before a global pandemic. So um, <laughs> we did a lot of development of the show virtually, which is... Actually, how uh, Clea has been involved, she was in some of the virtual readings that we did, two of them, and then the reading we did last year, plus the 54 Below show. But, um, you know, I come from, my family is a musical theater. My parents have written musicals before. I knew it was a thing you could do. I didn't know that I could do it until I had my millennial existential crisis and wrote one. Um, so well, your father was part of a little band that I think a few people. Yeah, right. Yeah. right. Um, yeah, he was the lead guitarist in uh, Paul McCartney's band Wings. So that was, yeah, just a little band. <laughs> just a little um, thing there. Yeah. Just a little thing. And so I, I grew up around it. My sister's a pop songwriter. My mom is a writer. Um, and I, I mentioned she's a lyricist, librettist also. So I just kind of grew up thinking it was really normal to, <laughs> to do these things. And I was the weird one that wasn't doing them because I was working in marketing. I worked in high-tech marketing for 15 years um, wow. and was always writing on the side and kind of, you know, and I had this break between jobs and my kids were old enough that they were in school and I just sat down and wrote a show and kind of was like, whoa, what, <laughs> what just happened? Well, you, you, you know, Wait, so Nico, I want to hear how are millennials killing musicals? <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, it's really, it's a provocative title. So um, it's meant to, first of all, make you laugh. So, you know, it's a comedy, right? And then, um, you know, as an elder millennial myself, uh, we have, you know, I don't know, Bryce, if you are, whoever's a millennial knows, we've been accused, yep, we've been accused of killing everything from beer to sex. I mean, it's just every headline you've seen is millennials are killing this and that. And so the, in a way, it's sort of taking it back. But in the story itself, um, you have the main character, Brenda, who is a single mom ready for love and creativity in her life when her younger sister, who's an influencer, shows up pregnant, completely unprepared. And um, this is like the bomb we know is going to go off. This baby's going to come. She thinks it's going to be like a Kardashian and make her tons of money on social media and has no idea what she's in for. Um, there's another mom at the kid's school we only know is Jake's mom and her life is actually falling apart. So there's other characters too, but these three main women are trailed by a Greek chorus of social media filters, basically Instagram filters, um, who are messing with their lives. And these filters are using a millennial kill list to make the women feel badly about themselves so that they need the filters even more because their existential threat is going out of existence and people moving on from technology. So this millennial kill list is lobbed at them through the whole show and it's funny at first, and then it becomes totally oppressive by the end of it, um, kind of mirroring the way that that's happened to us as a generation. So that's like the real nutshell overview of how we got a wacky title like that. No, I, was this always the title of the show? The, the very first draft title was called Filters, and then uh, it quickly changed to Millennials Are Killing Musicals because that's Filter sounds like it could be about coffee. I mean, it's just, it's not funny. <laughs> so, uh, but it's been since, since almost day one. Mm -hmm. So you mentioned earlier that you grew up with all this creativity always around you. Yeah. Uh, and you eventually, I mean, you went in a different direction. Um, yes. Were you fighting the creativity or uh, because it was there, did you feel that there was a pressure to live up to the creativity that was around you? Or did you feel that uh, there was a pressure on you that otherwise was not on, let's say the rest of us who didn't yes. necessarily grow up in that world? 
Yeah, I mean, that's a great question. I, I, it's a really multifaceted answer because I didn't mention also on my mom's side of the family, my grandfather created Gilligan's Island and the Brady Bunch. Um, his name was Sherwood Schwartz. Yes. So I really had like all of these creative geniuses around me who like truly <laughs> creative geniuses. That's all. It is a lot to live up to, um, you know, whether it's on the music side or the writing side, any of those. And um, I, but I always did, I always wrote and I always played music and I, I made an album in high school and I used to play in college. Uh, the big thing that came in is that I um, was diagnosed with non-Hodgkin's lymphoma when I was 19 in college. Mm. And so um, I went through cancer treatment and I, you know, I went back to school, but at, there was no Obamacare at that point for us elder millennials. We, you know, I needed benefits. I was going to go off of my parents' insurance or come off of my parents' insurance. Um, and I was good at the business stuff and I, and I liked high tech. And so I worked for Apple. I was at the company Adobe for 13 years because I love, you know, I worked on the creative products. I, so I got to stay engaged with my creativity but I just thought, no, I need the stability. I need the, you know, I need all the, <laughs> the benefits, all that stuff. And I really just kind of stopped, I suppressed it and I stopped it. And then it really just exploded <laughs> at a certain point. And, um, and I'm so practical that I was like, I don't know. I wrote a music. I mean, who writes a musical? That's a wild thing. You write a musical. I, wrote, I know, I know. Well, now I know that. But at the, t at the time... And I kept doing, you know, we do readings and stuff and people were like, oh, well, I can't wait to see what happens with this. And I'm like, what do you mean? I did it. It's done. I didn't understand kind of the, the rigor and the process that you go through. Um, but it's just, I kept getting little pats on the head from the universe. And I think that's what's really nice about theater, especially there are awards that you can win and recognition you can get. Um, during the pandemic, I won an award with the National Alliance for Musical Theater, um, for a short musical I wrote, um, they did a call for new 15 minute musicals and I actually won a national award for that. And I wrote a song, um, it was like a welcome back to Broadway thing, uh, with a collaborator. And we won that with the drama league and millennials was an O'Neill semifinalist, like two times in a row, first time I submitted it. So it was sort of like, okay, yeah, I get it. Okay. I should do this, <laughs> but I was the first one to say, oh, this is, you know, I don't know if I can do this, but I think it's been a journey of kind of standing in the confidence of, okay, yeah. Do you yeah. feel that now that you have found this is it for you that, that you, that this is exactly where you're meant to be? Oh, yeah. Well, the funny thing is that because um, my, we're, we're being produced this off-Broadway, we have a great producing organization. It's a nonprofit called Out of the Box Theatrics. Um, and they've been incredible to work with. Um, my director, Sierra Renee, most people know her as a Broadway star. I know her as an incredible director. And um, she's my commercial producing partner. And uh, so I'm doing all these things. I'm doing the, you know, branding and this and that. A friend of mine keeps saying, this is like your slumdog millionaire moment. Like all of these things you've ever done have <laughs> suddenly, <laughs> like, oh, we need a banner ad. I can do that. You need, you know. So it's, it truly feels like I don't know what else there is on this planet that would use every single one of my skills like a musical would. So Well, uh, those doors are going to keep opening and just let them happen. Um, I mentioned earlier that it was 50 years ago that I started with my own community theater. Um, just uh, a few days ago, about a week or so ago, um, I get Google alerts and somehow I got a Google alert for a new theater that's opening in my hometown or just outside of my hometown. And when I hear about a new theater that's opening anywhere, I get excited because these days you hear about things that are closing. So right. I wrote to the theater and I told them who I was and that I was, uh, that I was from uh, Conway, South Carolina, just outside of Myrtle Beach. And uh, Brian Coons uh, from the theater contacted me. And here he is. Congratulations, Brian. Brand new theater. And you've also appeared at Theater of the Republic, my hometown theater. Uh, but you, are you originally from Delaware? I know that you did theater in Delaware. No, the Philadelphia area. Philadelphia. Philadelphia. Yeah. Yep. How did you end up in South Carolina? 
um, but visiting for, for about five years, we'd keep visiting. And then finally I said, Hey, good time to move to the beach and, uh, get involved in local theater there. And here I am. So Brian, uh, before we talk about your theater, we talked earlier with Bryce about community theater. What does community theater mean to you? Well, some of the comments Bryce made about the community and you have everyone, you know, with our group, we're not, we don't have any paid staff. We're all, we're all volunteers. We all have day jobs. So everyone, you know, the actors, the directors, the stage crew, uh, the ushers, everyone is, is a volunteer. They want to be here uh, to support the arts in the area. Now, Theater of the Republic has been around uh, a long time. I mean, Theater of the Republic was established in 1969. Uh, it's always been a community theater. Um, uh, Tim McGee, who is the artistic director of the theater, for the first time, I think it was probably about 20 years ago was brought on as an artistic director of the theater. But Myrtle Beach has grown a lot since when I was a kid growing up there. There are a lot of theaters and uh, performing arts uh, venues that have opened in Myrtle Beach since I was there. Um, it takes a lot of guts to open a new theater, especially in an area like Myrtle Beach. What was it, uh, how did this new theater come to be? And uh, how how's it going so far? Yeah, well, what, what had happened is um, you know, we have the Theater of the Republic, a very well-known, very prestigious uh, theater, you know, the very, very great reputation. And, you know, I've been on their stage twice now and have loved the experience and the people that are involved. Um, we had a couple other theaters that um, unfortunately closed after COVID. And uh, our founder, Steve Marriott, uh, said, hey, I want to I open a theater. And I said, you know, that's my dream is to kind of retire and be more into the marketing communications as well as do some things on stage. And uh, he said, hey, I'm, I'm thinking of doing this. Let's look for venues. So we got the support of the local Moose Lodge to allow us in their theater. Our goal is to stay here about two years and then hopefully find a place of our own that we can call home. Mm hmm. Uh, that's the moose behind your head. That <laughs> yep, it is. So uh, there it is, the moose. Um, so what is your uh, main uh, role with this theater? So so my, my main role, because I told Steve, hey, I really want to learn about box office, and I wanted to involve into theater management of some sort and find out what that's all about. So my my first goal is to, to learn the ticketing system, which I'm the, I'm the operator. So I handle all the tickets. I have a full-time job, but I do this part-time and I get the tickets and I, I range for the ushers. Um, this current show that we're doing curtain up, I'm the stage manager. So you might hear some noise in the background. We're getting ready for our rehearsal tonight. Okay. Um, we, we open next week. So it's pretty exciting. Um, and then I'm hoping to get back on stage. I'm going to audition next week for, one of our third show of the season. So we'll see how that goes. What's a, what do you, I, I want to hear from all of you, what you think the biggest challenge is for you operating in the kind of venues that you're operating in. Uh, right? Mine's publicity, oh, publicity okay. and getting the word out. Okay. Oh, okay. Well, let's go with this. Uh, Brian, in today's world, what is the biggest challenge that you face when it comes to getting the word out? And what is your main source in terms of getting the word out? Well, right now we're using Facebook uh, as the primary means. There's a lot of uh, groups uh, within the Myrtle Beach area, the different, you know, like a um, Garden City, uh, Surfside Beach. So they have different groups. So we get out there, uh, dinner, dinner groups. We figure that's a good come to go out to dinner and then come see the show. Mm -hmm. Um We've done some, we've had great support of the uh, news media. They've been coming and doing a little feature right before each show and interviewing people in, on our cast. Um, and I'm looking now at, at different other marketing alternatives. I talked to some people from Value Pack today to see if that's something that, that we'd want to use. But cost right now is, is you know, we, we don't have budget for a lot of this advertising dollars right now. So it's, it's been a challenge. So I'm looking to learn more about that. I'm going to be reaching out to other theater uh, groups and see what they do. So Br Bryce, what about for you? What, what's the biggest challenge that you, you 
I think that the biggest challenge for the Naples players is that there's a pretty significant shift in each generation's values of volunteering. So the greatest generation now is sort of phasing out a little bit um, as they take it even a little more easy. And the greatest generation is very loyal to one or two organizations. The, the following generation um, is uh, a little more inclined to be participating in eight or 10 organizations. And so as a result, the, the trends in terms of how volunteers engage with organizations has shifted very dramatically. And so for us, we, we see that in our volunteer base um, and how it is that they choose to um, spend time with us. And so for the first 65 years of our history, uh, we had individual volunteers who would commit to all five weeks of a performance um, if they were working backstage. Um, we do five weeks of performances uh, per show. And uh, now we've split those into two. There's an A track and a B track. And as we continue to move forward, um, it's even harder to find people to work in A track and a B track. And so now uh, it tends to be now we're going to be looking at an, uh, a per week volunteer. And so significantly more training and significantly more work to make sure that everything is staffed fully. So for us, that's a big challenge in helping people understand um, what goes into producing the theater and um, uh, also allowing them to still have a great time and not feel like they're, they're working the whole, the whole evening away. When you talk about an A track and a B track, are you talking about scheduling? Yeah, scheduling. Yeah, I mean we have A track and B track cast members as to, as well for depending on the runs. Um, but yeah, for for crew, you know, um, by the time you you know you talk about one of our full scale musicals, it's ninety performers and it's ninety volunteers a night. You know, twenty on stage, fifteen in the orchestra, the ushers, the backstage crew, the fly rail. We still do this. We don't have the computers, okay. um, and so having all of that is uh, a huge demand on a, on a daily basis. And not knowing that area very well, uh, are there a lot of other, is there, uh, not that you would ever have competition, Bryce, sure. but uh, uh, for lack of a better word, is there competition in the area? Yeah, yeah. you know, we, we, we have a, um, a, a Lord D regional theater about, um, I don't know, 1,500 feet from us. And so uh, they are completing a new facility and we are undergoing a $20 million renovation of our facility and so um, there's a lot of theater done in a very different way in a very um, confined space not to mention our other community theaters and professional theaters that also exist here um, so while we certainly don't compete with each other um, there's certainly a saturation in the market and so understanding how we each play a role is really important um, is it difficult in terms of the material that you get for your shows? Do you do original works? It, or it can be very difficult. You know, the community theaters are at the bottom of the totem pole, maybe other than high schools. And so um, especially coming out of COVID, you know, uh, a lot of the, the professional theaters were certainly sort of looking for the things that we would traditionally look at that make a lot of cash. And so um, we're limited in terms of the style of performance that we can sometimes produce. And so... Uh, a lot of those titles that a uh, community theater would rely on were suddenly unavailable because they were being taken by the bigger regional theaters. So it, it's certainly been a, a challenge for us uh, the last few years. And Nico, in terms, I mean, for yourself, I mean, you have a producer. Uh, are you, uh, you mentioned earlier branding and all that. Are you hands-on uh, when it comes to uh, promotion of your product? Yeah, I mean, I firmly believe. I don't. Did everyone see Tick Tick Boom? I don't want to ruin it. But oh, it, oh, yes, of course. Well, I mean, I, I wouldn't ruin it too much, but the scene of you know him calling everyone the night before, trying to get them to come. I mean, really, nothing's changed. I I truly think that musical writers, everyone I know who's got stuff going, is also kind of an entrepreneur and at the same time because you're truly building a business. Like every every piece that you're adding on, first of all, you're going to work with these people maybe for the rest of your life. <laughs> like if you, if you have a successful show, so they have to be people you're happy to be stuck in a car with and, you know, <laughs> drive racing to the airport, which happened to my director and I in Ohio trying to get uh, to a different airport. But so I keep using that as a benchmark. Um, and yeah, I'm, I'm very hands-on with everything. I think that you have to be, I, but I also know that uh, Liz Fleming, who's the producing artistic director for Out of the Box, we have a great relationship and I defer to her 
you know, in terms of managing her team and marketing team. And she brings me in and we're very collaborative and coming up with ideas because, you know, we talk about sort of doing some fun social media content. I can write that in the voice of the show. And so it's like the more that gives people a sense of what they're going to come see when they come see the show um, instead of some agency trying to make, you know, guesses about how to talk about it. So I think that um, the more entrepreneurial you can be in this process, I think the better it, for the life of the project, which is hopefully ongoing. So are you advertising on essentially on Instagram and TikTok and, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, Instagram uh, out of the box just has been launching an Instagram campaign. And then we're also looking at TikTok and working with existing um, theater creators on TikTok because, uh, and who knows what's going to happen with TikTok because we know, oh, it could, I know. But, yeah, potentially a shutdown. But in the meantime, there are these very niche communities that have spun up. You know, there are people who are talking about the finances of theater or really specifically about choreography. And so the more niche content that you can make that excites people, especially if they're, you know, in the New York area, it's very, it's it, people are excited to hear about it. You're not necessarily just throwing something at them that they don't care about. And, and Nico, do you see making what you're doing available to community theaters, you know, like, you know, Bryce and Brian are running. So you're saying the material itself or yeah. the, yeah, the, yeah. the show itself? The yeah, show. I think the way that I understand, it, I mean, that feels like the, you know, the life of the, the show in the future. Um, but I absolutely would love a scenario where it's done by community theaters, where it's done by, you know, I, I don't know if it would be a high school show, but maybe if there's a junior version of it made, I think that there's lots of opportunity for that. Um, I think that we have, to, you know, our next step after this would be our commercial production, which would, because this is our nonprofit production, mm -hmm. um, developmental. So we have to have that first commercial production and then we can sort of talk about what does the rest of the life of the show look like? Are we looking at, you know, I mean, Six has this wonderful life on cruise ships all over the place. Yes. So there's, you know, there's London runs of things. There's all sorts of ways. So um, again, you kind of have to be building it with all of those things in mind of different. Well, that, that bring, you know, brings up an interesting question. Nico. There are so many, uh, you know, scenarios in terms of the future of where you go with this. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and uh, was there, I mean, deep discussions or a lot of discussions on going the off-Broadway route? I mean, when, uh, you know, having not seen the show yet, uh, I mean, does the show have the, the I mean, the legs of being a, a Broadway production? I mean, some shows like Little Shop of Horrors mm -hmm. is not really a Broadway type show. Godspell is not really a Broadway show. There are certain shows that are better suited in smaller venues rather than being a Broadway production and they have longer shelf lives. Um, yeah. Do you see this as a, eventually a Broadway production? So it's a great question because I think that everyone is asking themselves that question about everything right now because we, I think that uh, because in a post-COVID environment, you know, what is a Broadway show? A Strange Loop was seven characters and we have six, which is really a, a pop concert, which is 75 minutes long and six characters on the stage. So I think that had you asked, if I had done this 10 years ago and you had asked me then, I would have said, this is like Little Shop, we're doing this, uh, you know, let's do it at the West Side. And I definitely think that that is the kind of home that it, you know, it's an eight person show. It's got that intimacy. And, um, but I think that nobody really knows what the future of Broadway looks like right now. And um, small cast and pop driven is actually really appealing to the producing community of Broadway. So I think it goes again, back to building it the best that you can build it. Um, especially with the team that we've put together is primarily Broadway talent, whether, you know, from, behind the scenes to the cast. And I think when everyone's talking about what your challenges are, you're in New York, you're always, no matter what you're doing, you're competing with Broadway because you know that's what's getting all of the attention and whether you're off Broadway or off, off Broadway. So I think that 
you know, you've got to make the best thing you can make. And if it's good, people will respond to it and the market will tell you what you have. Um, I know that wasn't a real clear answer to your no, question. No, I, I, no, it was perfectly clear to me. I hope it was clear to everybody else. It was clear Absolutely. To um, uh, Brian, do you, with your new theater company and you're just getting started, um, do you have a certain uh, paradigm that you're working within? Do you have um, a mission statement for your theater of the types of th uh, theater that you want to uh, present to your audiences? And do you know who your audience is yet? Well, we, we, we do. Um, we, we've, we've discovered our, our, our core audience are basically uh, older women. <laughs> you know, the, the, uh, the, you know, this is a retirement community or down here. So we've got a lot of retirees and they love the comedies and the dramas. So whereas like TOR has the musicals, you know, we're too small a venue. I don't know that we'll ever entertain anything of a musical nature. Uh, so we'll pretty much stick to the, the, the straight plays. Um, but uh, yeah, that's uh, we're, we're, we're just we've only had one show run so far. This is our second one opening next week. Uh, so we're you know, we're, we're still organizing and determining, you know, like policies and procedures for comp tickets is something, you know, we don't have right now. I have the discretion of saying, OK, I can give a comp ticket. Somebody build us, uh, you know, built the set. Hey, let's give them two comps or mm -hmm. somebody donated furniture. But we want to get you know more of a policy with that in regard to, you know, donations. Uh, you know, how, how do we handle that? So, um, yeah, we're still we're you know, like I, like I said, I'm going to want to talk to a lot of other theaters and find out what they're doing and, and start putting together policies with our group. Bryce, do you, do you have a, a, an audience that you're, you know, performing for as well, that you're programming for, that you see? Yeah, certainly. I mean, we, we're very fortunate to have very uh, an array of programs. So we have uh, a, a reader's theater audience that tends to be a little different than our sort of major season series with um, the other two theaters. So um, one of our venues tends to be a little more on the, what we'd sort of consider the cutting edge. Um, and one more, uh, one of them uh, tends to be a little more Broadway. And so in those way, we have a couple of different audience bases that we play to, but generally, I mean, I think, you know, all of us play to the over 60 crowd, um, no matter where we are, because that tends to be the crowd that, that um, has the disposable income for theater at the moment. Um, so, but yeah, same, 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 uh, same struggles always apply, which is, um, you know, the, the political division within the country and understanding how we play our role as a community organization to serve uh, both sides of the aisle um, is an, an interesting journey for us in opening up uh, discourse that's positive and builds community and not discourse that seems to divide. One of the things that the Naples Players Theater did uh, that I think is really uh, laudable and interesting is during COVID, you had uh, the people who would normally be doing the, co you know, making the costumes make masks, right? To just That's right. Yeah, we, we were very fortunate during COVID that we um, did not choose to lay off any of our staff. Um, and, and part of that is because we own our facility outright. So we have we have no long-term structured debt. So our major expense was our staff. And so the you know, first thing we did was pivot and say, what does the community need? And we called the hospital and the hospital needed masks. And we have a lot of people who know how to sew. And uh, the other thing the hospital needed was intubation boxes. At the time, COVID was brand new and they didn't exactly know how it was spreading, but they did know they were intubating a lot of patients. And when you intubate a patient, I did not know this, but when you intubate a patient, all of the liquid that may be in their lungs is expelled. And they were concerned about their doctors being sprayed with this fluid that was being uh, expelled from people's lungs. And so our scene shop worked um, with the infectious disease departments to create uh, intubation boxes that would allow the doctors to put their hands within an acrylic box over the patient's head, intubate the patient and contain the fluids. Um, and so we started there and then um, moved our way into uh, drive-in movies in the parking lots so that people could stay within their confined little box of air, but wave at their neighbors next door and uh, uh, all the way through to shows in the parks until we were able to reopen. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah. yeah. We, uh, we started the show calling it Creativity in an Age of COVID, right? <laughs> sure. <laughs> We've evolved. This title has changed. 
Um, I want to ask each of you, um, especially right now, everything is, it, it seems like every single day, everything's changing. Um, you know, Facebook, uh, Twitter, uh, is it good? Is it bad? Uh, you know, we don't know what the future of TikTok is going to be. You people are going to, um, I want to ask each of you, and I'm going to start with you, Bryce. Um, how is social media helping or hurting uh, where you are right now uh, in terms of uh, uh, your marketing and your promotion? Social media is an interesting phenomenon for us. You know, um, we definitely see generational divides, as you would imagine, between Facebook and Instagram. And there's another one. Um, that even us old old elder millennials now um, are are not using apparently, um, and so we we actually tailor messages um, pretty specifically to each of those different areas. So we we see a, a pretty specific response on Facebook from parents of young people who will be engaging in educational programs, and we see a strong response from the people who participate in those education programs from Instagram. Um, TikTok is its own sort of interesting generational divide. Um, and so uh, we, we try to use each of them in a unique manner, um, but we, we're very aware of the ways that, um, I guess you would call them trolls, can cause damage to the individuals who are participating in the art. And so we curate very carefully um, the content that is being provided to each of those constituencies. Uh, same question, Nico. Yeah, I mean, social media is really core to the story that I'm telling. So I think that yeah. and especially the millennial relationship to social media, the way we filter ourselves and um, women in particular, I, I didn't I sort of mentioned this before that it's really women focused. And um, and that was one of the reasons this was a good fit for the nonprofit that we're working with out of the box, because that's part of their mission. Um, but I would say we're so early still because we haven't launched kind of like our huge social media campaign and it's been under these protective, you know, umbrellas of this nonprofit we're working with or 54 below or whatever it is. Um, so I, I think you just kind of have to be open to what happens and not invest your time, energy, money so heavily in one platform that could go away. I mean, I do we all remember when Instagram didn't work for like two days and everybody, <laughs> you know, so I think that th these are a very real thing and things go out of date and new things come. Uh, I don't know, Bryce, were you talking about Discord? Because that's like the new, um, I heard Gen Z is like everyone's on Discord and they have fan communities on there. <laughs> I have so, heard of Discord. No, there's one apparently that's like dumpster or something. It's something oh. ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, the dump, dumpster fire, that one. Um, yeah. I, I don't know. I haven't heard of that. But I, so I think it's just knowing where your audiences are. I think that millennials tend to be on Instagram the most and Facebook um, and but, the, you know, I'm always surprised. We did a reading of the show earlier in the year at Baldwin Wallace, um, which is where my director graduated from. And it was with students and they were 19, 20 years old and they walked in. Oh, my God, this is so relatable. And I'm I'm like, I, I just turned 40 and I'm like, you guys are half my age. Like, what are you what is relatable about this to you? So you never know who is going to form a fan community around what you're doing. And you want to make sure that people have a place to gather. Um, so. Wow. Uh, Brian, same question. Yep. And, and I, I know with our uh, target audience, we're, you know, they're Facebook users. That's where we're, we're going right now. I have a millennial counterpart and she is doing the Instagram and we're looking for the other venues. Like I said, I've reached out to some uh, newspapers because there are still people that read, even if it's online, the newspapers. So we're trying to find what's, what's the best way to attract customers. Okay. Now I have, uh, we're going to run out of time, but I, and you're all going to get a chance to have your final word today, which I'll talk about in a moment. But I've got one last question that I want to ask each of you. Um, we're living in very strange times uh, with people wanting to censor and uh, uh, ban and uh, let uh, tell people what they should be watching and what they should not be watching. And I want to ask uh, uh, Bryce, I know that you are in 
uh, the wonderful state of Florida. And uh, Brian, you're in uh, South Carolina, my home state, which I know a lot about. Uh, and uh, but Bryce, I want to begin with you. Um, have you dealt with any issues in terms of what you choose to present to your audiences in terms of censorship on any level? You know, we, we have found that the people who are upset with a lot of the content that um, is trying to be censored are people who do not consume theater. And so um, any of the content that we've produced where somebody has had a problem with, generally those people have never actually seen the show or and didn't come to see the show. And so they, they're, they're operating off of an assumption. So we've been very fortunate in that regard that we, we haven't had any of those sort of major responses from audiences within the organization. Um, but I, I can see that it is a growing problem and it is certainly a, a focus of both the board of directors and the staff as we move forward to see how it is that we serve our community best. Great. Uh, Nico? I haven't run into, because I've only presented material in California and New York primarily. I mean, I guess virtually I had the program uh, with Beck Center for the Arts for my NAMP show, but... There was, I, this isn't something that I've run into myself, but um, I'm very aware of. So I'm curious to hear the uh, Brian's answer to this too. Uh, Brian, is it something that you've dealt with in South Carolina? I know, you know, I will say this, that um, uh, just to, 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 uh, I did MAME in 1974 in uh, Conway, South Carolina at the Theater of the Republic. And they put a disclaimer in the Conway newspaper, which at the time was called the Field and Herald, uh, that the word ass and damn were used in the show. This was 1974. I also know that uh, 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 Emma Johnson, Emma Lou Johnson, I'm gonna call her name out, uh, when they did the best little whorehouse in Texas, uh, fought them and they would not allow them to put the word whorehouse on the marquee. They could not uh, put that word out there. Uh, she would not allow it. And she fought them uh, on putting that name on the marquee in Conway. And she won out. And uh, so, uh, uh, so censorship was very much prevalent in my hometown. So, Brian, I'll let you run with that. Brian? Did he freeze suddenly? I think he might have frozen. Uh, I think Emily Johnson did that when I I'm sorry. I, I lost you for a second. Uh, yeah, we've we've discussed we've discussed it as a theater. We won't change the words in the scripts. Uh, if the word is there, it's there and may put a disclaimer out there that says they're over, but we've had no issues so far. Oh. Uh, we may lose him. I hope he comes back. Yes. Uh, if he does, I'll bring him on. Uh, so, uh, uh, we are going to run out of time. Uh, well, I think that, you know, we may come in right on time today. Uh, <clears throat> excuse me. I want to thank you all for being here and I want to thank you for your creativity and what you're bringing, uh, to new generations. Nico, I cannot wait to see your show. I'm going <laughs> to be there somehow. I'm going to find a way to get there. Yes. Grace, thank you for all that you're doing. Brian is back. Uh, Brian, uh, let's see. Um, there is. Let me, uh. Uh, remove Sorry, this. Okay. <laughs> we don't get any echo. Um, uh, so, uh, did you finish saying what you wanted to say, or uh, Brian? I think so. I just said we we really haven't had any issues yet. We will let uh, the customers know if there's any kind of words that are might be offensive. Right. But we're not changing anything. Yes. Um, so, uh, but. I, I, again, I want to thank you all for being here today. Um, I'm going to give you each chance uh, to have your final word. It could be about anything that we spoke about today that you want to build upon, anything that we didn't talk about that you wish we had, or just any final message that you uh, want to end the show on. Um, I'm going to give my final comments. Then I'll turn it over to you, Brian, and then Nico, Brian, and then Judy will have the final word today. Um, I want to, as I do with every show, uh, 
I want to encourage everyone to pick up the phone and call a friend that you haven't spoken to in a while. I also want to encourage everybody to go out and see live theater. Not only to go out and see a live theater, but if it's a possibility, there are community theaters in every community in the nation. Uh, get out there and find out where they are. And if you're able to volunteer, either in person or financially, please get involved on any level because these theaters are the future for all of our artists uh, on any level. So if you're able to do that, that's great. Uh, as I said, pick up the phone, call a friend that you haven't spoken to in a while and let them know how they matter in your life. Not an email message, not a text message, not a private inbox message, a phone call and let that person know how they've made a difference in your life. As my dear friend, Sean Moniger says, we're all in the same storm, but we're in different sized boats. Some are in canoes, some are on yachts, some are in rowboats, some are pushing tugboats upstream. It doesn't matter what size boat you're on, as long as you have a skipper by your side. And with that note, I'm going to leave the screen and I'm going to turn it over to you, Bryce Alexander. And Bryce, I can't make, wait to meet you in person someday. Thank you. And God bless all the work you do. When you come oh, thank you. I love that, Richard. That's fantastic. I, I, I can't believe we're already at the time. I, you know, I'm extremely inspired by both of the other artists who are here and you, Judy, of course. Um, I can't wait to hear what happens with Nico's musical and what happened. Brian, if I can be a resource of any kind, if the Naples players can support you and your new theater, don't hesitate to reach out. I think what makes theater unique is its ability to bring people together. And um, uh, I'm excited to see the ways that all of our different um, sort of communities of artists um, continue to reach out and make a difference in, in the greater world. And um People forget that, you know, nonprofit arts is a trillion dollar industry in the United States. You know, it's a bigger industry than transportation. Uh, and so when we really put our collective power together to impact our communities, we can make a really positive impact. Terrific. Thank you, Bryce. And, and the Naples Players Theater are making a tremendous difference in this community because of all of the various things that you have for the community to be involved with and to benefit from. So thank you. Thank you very much. And Brian? Yep, Brian? I would just say I echo both Richard and, and yep, I just, I just like to echo, get involved with the community theater. If you want to be up on stage, try out. If you want to just usher or help out with set design, things like that, come on out and support us. We definitely, we definitely all need to pitch in. Nico. Yeah, thank you so much for this opportunity to be on today and um, hang out with everyone and chat. This has been really great and inspirational, like everyone said. Uh, I guess what I want to leave everyone with just sort of thinking about is that uh, in 2019, uh, as of then, only 13% of shows on Broadway were written by women and 13% directed by women. So um, it is we're not in a place where we have sort of equal representation in terms of gender, marginalized genders, um, BIPOC community members. And I think that this is something we need to strive to and, and be thinking about in the types of work that is produced and that we're supporting. And we wanna make sure that there's equity across the board. And um, so that's something that I've learned a lot about in this process, being a woman telling a story about women somehow becomes political no matter what you do, even if it's a, a fun comedy, right? So. Um, think about that as you're supporting theater and um, support unheard and new voices and new work. Terrific. Thank you. And good luck with the show. Thank you. And all of us need to find our ways that we can help out with our communities. They, you know, they need us. They need our volunteer help. They need our dollars. <laughs> they need us to show up. They need us to be audience. So find a way that you can be involved in a creative aspect of your own community. Find your spot in that and then give it all you've got because you'll get far more back in return than whatever it is that you give. Trust me, I'm doing it. We'll see you in two weeks.
With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.